Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Vlad Blagojevich, and Vlad is the co-founder of Full Funnel. He and his partner, Andre, are producers of prolific and exceptional content. I first came across him because his content just jumped out in the dearth of crap content that's out there on LinkedIn. It actually works in the real world. It's well thought through, it's well researched, and it's based on practical application in the context of his clients and his own business. Vlad, now that you've had such a big build up, there's only one way to go. So be ready for a fall. Let's have uh, your history. Talk me through your own background, through your career, and latterly the last three years since you and Andre set up Full Funnel. Yeah, very briefly, thank you for the wonderful introduction. I'm super excited to be here. And I started off as an academic intellectual turned programmer, so very engineering thinking that I would never, ever be in the dirty world of sales and marketing is how I perceived it back then. I always thought of it as kind of like manipulation, twisting people's arms into buying. But then at a certain moment, I started working uh, as an employee for a consulting company and they took me and I had to sell some projects. I didn't sign up for it, but that was part of the deal at the end. And I went out there with a colleague who had a similar background as myself, and he was a great teacher. And in the end, what I realized, it isn't about manipulating people. It is actually about listening to people. It is about empathy. It is about really understanding what the people need, what their situation is, and then helping them actually, <laughs> providing advice and recommendation. And by the way, we can help with that kind of a sales process that I always apply, apply to this day. And that's when I fell in love with it. And I didn't even know, know it at the time, but I started selling like almost 10x to, compared to the salespeople who were there for, for, for that role. And after a couple of years of doing that, you know, and landing like a 2 million deal for my employee. And because I wasn't in a sales role, I wasn't entitled to a commission, realized hmm, maybe I should do that for myself. <laughs> that is when I decided to become an entrepreneur, but also it was kind of, Everybody who is an entrepreneur will recognize this. I kind of didn't really have a choice. I, I just had to do it. Fast forward to me joining with Andre. We started our full funnel company three years ago. We wanted to change the way that B2B marketing is done. Uh, since then, we, from an unknown brand, we kind of became a go-to expert uh, when it comes to account-based marketing for high ACV, so large deal size companies, demand generation, account-based marketing. We build up an audience of, you know, almost 100,000 people, been invited to all the major events as speakers. We've launched webinars and summits and conferences with, you know, thousands, thousands of um, attendees. So We've done a lot of stuff while, of course, at the same time, building out our business and serving. So this was from scratch three years ago. And That's right. What sort of conferences are you speaking at at the moment? We spoke in our niche at, for example, okay, a lot of niche, niche, very relevant conferences, demand base in, in London. We spoke at Nathan Lotka's conference in Austin. We spoke at Ed. World, I think this is like one of the big conferences in our space. But for, I mean, for uh, we were on the old three years old to have that kind of traction and footprint is pretty impressive. So uh, what's well, that down to? Well, I mean, it really is down to consistently, like what you said in the introduction, consistently producing high quality content consistently producing high quality content and then being a little bit strategic and proactive in terms of how you build relationships and using, we, we really love using co-creation, content co-creation. What I mean by that is co-creating with, let's say, brands and people that our buyers already trust. So for example, what I mean is we do a, a live podcast episode each and every week with a thought leader or with a you know 
like a, a partner brand. We do the summit where we invite, you know, we parlay that into that summit where we then had like 15 or 20 thought leaders uh, will speak. And so all of that, of course, allows us to build those relationships to, you know, what they actually know in the movie business or what they know in the music business is that the fastest way for you to grow your own credibility and your own audience is to tap into somebody else's credibility and audience. So we really prolifically did that at the beginning, especially we focused a lot on that. Uh, and that's really probably the fastest way for you to grow, especially like when I'm talking about like awareness and audience and credibility. I think this was probably a key next to the content that we were producing. Well, this then brings me to the subject of awareness, because since the advent of G chat gpt um i mean linkedin's quality content was already pretty uh, limited it's now been drowned out by the deafening roar of mediocrity and what depresses me more is it's educating the ai to be even more mediocre over time so i'm hoping if you're listening chat gpt people please fix that and it but it it, it baffles me that we seem to have sacrificed effectiveness for the illusion of efficiency and every time we amp up the volume the customers become deafer and deafer to us so how do you get heard with a whisper through this tornado of drivel you know actually i think that's that's an opportunity i think that's uh the way that i look at it well first of all some good news sparktor has published a study where they Notice that the use of ChatGTP has fallen by 30% since May and could disprove to hypothesis being, you know, school year and just general the summer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely what you see, uh, even before ChatGPT, the most majority of B2B content was kind of copy-paste, me too, superficial content that, uh, that doesn't really add a lot of value to the buyer. And now it's just even easier to do that right? uh, with ChatGPT because at the end, what it is, it is a plagiarism machine, right? It just takes what it's read somewhere, kind of re reassembles that, combines that and, and spits it out. To some degree. I mean, if it's uh, generative, then it will be interpreting differently. And there is an element of creativity there, but I take your point. That was kind of the point that we were discussing. I think, like, how do you stand out? I think yeah. in many ways, I think the fact that there's so much mediocre content in many industries, I really think it's not difficult to stand out. Probably our industries, like, you know, B2B sales, B2B marketing, along maybe with recruitment or some other industries are the most difficult ones when it comes to platforms like LinkedIn, at least, right? Because that's... That's what you you hear about. That's what it's about me to be marketing is about recruitment. And so there, the threshold is a little bit bigger, but it comes down to, again, it comes down to really understanding the customers, really not writing about shit that you came up with based on some fictive personas. You're not writing because you did a keyword research and... Google told you that these are the popular search terms. You really want to understand deeply your customer, their pain points. Actually, the way that you can best think about it is understand the way that your customers are buying all the steps that are going through and the questions that they have as they move through that buying process and then answer those questions. That's what the role of content is at the end. Well, almost no sales training that I've ever seen ha has any emphasis on the buyer, the buyer's journey. It's all about BANT. It's about technique. It's about closing. It's about opening. It's about prospecting. And it's got the square root of NAF all to do with the customer. I mean, why is it that we seem to have forgotten that the customer is the most important part of this equation and they've become a forgotten afterthought at the end of a long chain of abuse? I think it's a really good question. And 
You know, I've been asking myself that every time. And whenever we work with a client, one of the biggest obstacles is to get them to actually speak to their customers. And there is always a lot of resistance. And you hear different kinds of excuses. We don't want to bother our customer is one of the most common ones. But actually, when you really, you know, scratch the surface, when you when you look look inside, what happens is that they don't really have good relationship with their customers to begin with. Very often, it's an indication that they don't really like. And it's like a chicken and an egg. So what you were des- describing, the way that a lot of salespeople treat this whole process in a very transactional manner. Okay, so I get a lead or I get that call. I do my demo, you know, I show them the price. It's very product-oriented, centered. It's very company-centered, right? So I'm not really talking about them so much as, as much as I'm talking about me and our product. And so whenever we even ask the salespeople, okay, so what are the top problems that you're solving for your customers? They might actually answer with features. Like, oh, instead of of answering with problems, they start answering in terms of their own features, which kind of reflects that. So if you have salespeople and marketing people who are thinking like that, who are behaving like that, then there's no wonder that they don't have that insight into customer, but also there is no wonder that there is, no real relationship because how can you build a relationship with somebody if you're not really interested in in their world in what's going on with them etc so this is my hypothesis well it, it it aligns very closely with my thinking as well and from the observations that i've made with the best performing sales and marketing organizations and individuals there are certain key qualities which is that they tend to understand there is a bigger picture there's a job to be done and they understand that there are many moving parts and they you they attempt to choreograph and unify those moving parts so that they meet where they need to meet and they recognize that you can't do that by picking up the phone at the beginning of the quarter in the hope that you're going to close them by the end if they're going to make a decision about something that is going to affect the business strategically for the next three to 10 years, you can't expect your buyer, who is still a primitive being, we're social primates and we're not that far from our bonobo cousins. And we spend an awful lot of time in this mind of ours manufacturing reality and so do our customers and our job as salespeople and as marketers is to find a way to enter into the conversation that that customer is already having yes and that way we minimize resistance Um, and to consistently over time be credible i.e do what you say you can reliable bloody well do it in the manner and to the tune and the budget and time you said you would and to the standard expected and earn intimacy. And you do that by having low self-orientation and reducing vulnerability and eliminating uncertainty. And that way you remove risk. And that's our job. And you can't do that by putting people under pressure because when you do, By coercing them, you trigger the disgust and contempt response or the worst case scenario. We're actually institutionalizing that in our marketing and our sales. And we're wondering why our customers don't buy, especially in difficult times. Yeah, but your job is not to sell, of course, because at the moment you show your car, and by, by that I mean the moment you expose your... I need to sell you this, right? So the moment you become needy, the moment you become pushy, that's the moment they were going to simply raise the, you know, resistance. They're going to go in the resistance mode. Uh, So that's not really your job. Your job is to help them buy. Your job is to help solve their problems. But in order to be able to do that, you first need to understand and listen to them. I mean, even the fact that you're, let's say that I'm a marketer, doesn't mean, and maybe I'm, you know, like like majority of marketers would like to have, I don't know, better ROI of their marketing or 
would like to have a better, you know, to drive more revenue, whatever, whatever the hell they, they want, doesn't mean that I'm going to buy a product that is going to help me, right? So what I'm trying to say is the fact that you have a problem doesn't mean that you're buying, right? We all have problems. It's our fucking job to deal with those problems. That's why we are paid the big bucks, right? <laughs> or your buyers are currently dealing with their issues. It's usually something that happens in the business that, that the majority of sales and marketers are not, uh, not aware of. It's something that happens in the business that you can call like a trigger that shifts those priorities. Suddenly, the challenge that you're solving or the opportunity that you can create for them becomes a priority, right? So, and that is a part, that's also part of understanding the buyer journey, right? And the better you can understand and the better content you can create, the better you can influence your buyers, the better you can position your solution. Because like you said at the end, what is the role of marketing? It is building a communication bridge between you and the prospect. But that bridge has to start there. So you have to tap into what they're thinking, like you said, right? So the bridge has to start there and then you have to guide them like, okay, so... This is the situation. This is the problem that you have. This is why you have the problem. So here you're bringing the expert insight. You're diagnosing. You're behaving as a doctor, not as a car salesman, right? So you're you're diagnosing, saying this is the root reason that this is not working out for you. You you're showing them, shining the light on a problem they didn't know they had or the root cause of the problem, and that's why I'm suggesting my solution because. We have been built ground up to solve exactly that root cause, kind of like simplifying <laughs> version so, of, of the storytelling there. This is really interesting. And in fact, uh, I can't recommend highly enough your graphic on the bus journey. Uh, and uh, a, a particular piece uh, leapt out at me when I first saw it, which is deal stalls. And you could have gone through 20 or 30 steps internally as a buyer for the deal to stall because something happens. War breaks out in Ukraine. Interest rates suddenly spike and you're massively leveraged on debt. And your 100 million is now yielding a 6.17 million per year interest charge, which you hadn't banked on. You're struggling to recruit people because um, someone key left and there's a war for talent and you don't pay top dollar. So now you've got to try and find these workarounds. This is the reality of what goes on in the buyer organization when you're trying to sell. Sometimes it's even simpler. Sometimes it's even they misunderstood something or they have a question that they didn't want to ask you, right? Uh, or they got a question from their colleague that they couldn't answer, but they didn't come back to you to ask you that question because people don't like that. I mean, people don't like... Uh, yeah, look looking stupid or whatever. There's a lot of things that can be happening there. Colleagues might, you know, somebody might have left the organization. They might have left the organization. And every time we start every every project uh, by studying the, the best customers, right? That's That's where you have to start. So we look at the databases and we try to see who are those people. And you know what happened often? Their top buyer, whatever, they're not even working there anymore and they don't know it. They don't know it. It's not up to date. So, I mean, if you don't know that for your best customer, I'm talking about your best customer. So your, your champion, your top person at your best customer has left the organization a year ago and you're not aware of it. It's like, what are we talking about here? So there are so many organizations that basically sales is a drive-by shooting. <laughs> it's just scary. And the amount of waste. I mean, this is a huge question for me. What I see so often is marketing success creates a negative downstream ripple effect because of a fundamental misunderstanding of the consequences of a decision based on metrics. So a 3% click-through rate and a 15% conversion rate would be considered by most agencies and most marketing departments as a pretty good uh, result. But what that means is it failed to generate revenue 99.9955% of the time and only generated revenue 0.0045% of the time. The leads that weren't closed get thrown over the wall to sales. On average, it takes six to 11 follow-up touches 
to engage with that buyer. So there's a huge additional workload. Plus, the emphasis on cold new business and cold direct new business means that they have a roughly 3% win rate on that cold stuff. They then pass over those unhappy, poorly sold, missold customers to CS, and they eat up tickets and are instant churn risks. And at a 15% churn rate, you have to replace 49% of your customers every three years. And all of this stems from measuring the wrong thing, which is what's our conversion rate on click-throughs? How do we get marketing, sales, finance, operations, CS, product, all to align, think as the customer does and meet them where they are so that we stop that ludicrous waste. No, but a metrics, it's so strange to see again, speaking to so many organizations, what I see is that they don't, they never even bother to check how many of those marketing leads actually converted into revenue and what was the average deal size that those leads have generated? What was the lifetime value, the churn rate uh, on, the, on the flip side as well? So if you're not measuring marketing by those revenue metrics and majority of companies are not, you don't know what you're doing or worse, like you said, you're focusing on volume somewhere at the beginning on the MQL level, or even worse, like you said, like whatever C CTR and conversion rates and all of that stuff, but you're optimizing, you're optimizing completely wrong level instead of optimizing for the results in the CRM. And like I said, it's surprising to see how many companies never even check that. Never even well, like bothered to check it. Th this is something that flabbergasts me as well. So much of the day of CS people, customer success people, is spent talking to actual living, breathing customers about their experience, the product, the benefit, the value, and so on. Salespeople speak to customers for about three minutes a day. Why are we not spending way more time interrogating the customer success data and those calls for insight? Because to, to my mind, you know, a company like HubSpot or any HubSpot partner should be mining that stuff first. No, I think that's a great point, especially when you really dig into the role of an account executive versus a CS manager, right? In large organizations serving enterprise. Unfortunately, yeah. what I've seen from practice is that AEs tend to be glorified order takers, right? So they get served up a lead by the BDR or by marketing which is somehow qualified, right? So they don't really have to like deal with the volume like the BDRs and the SDRs have to and waste a lot of time. So they get that served up. Uh, of course, in, in many cases, you have amazing AIs who, you know, help drive a consensus and all of these things that need to happen within the organizations. But very, very frequently, you're getting somebody who is looking to buy, who has already made kind of a choice, right? And you're helping them buy and then what happens is they're there to, you know, get the deal approved, get it through legal, et cetera, to, you know, send the quotes. And especially after that, after the deal has been closed, when it comes to renewal, et cetera, again, they're kind of like waiting for the order to be put in so that it can like make sure that it's being processed. While the CS is way deeper, they are kind of the partner of the of the account and really helping help helping them implement that's what something that i've seen in, in, a, in a few organizations uh which kind of like you know why is what you just said well in this market in the context that we are operating in at the moment certain things are becoming more and more essential profit longevity of accounts so you know customer lifetime expansion sales but Leadership comes typically comes from direct cold new business. And so the emphasis there is if it, all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, so they're trying to beat in screws and bolts and you know widgets and whatever. And they're trying to apply old thinking to new technology. It's a, cl a classic case of 
old generals uh, preparing to fight the last war. If you had a blank sheet of paper and you were going into a marketing organization and you had carte blanche to basically start from scratch, what would be the first thing that you would do? The first thing that I would do is I would do a revenue analysis. I would just start analyzing uh, historically where did they get the business, how did they got that business, what are the top set first understanding the different segments, right? You can slice it, dice it a little bit different. Okay, is the majority of revenue coming from existing versus net new, which is what you said in majority of the cases is coming from existing. But what are we doing to get more of the existing? Is there any proactive initiatives there, right? And then also understanding the best segments, understanding the best customers, how we want them, how did they came to us, right? So this would be like my first step would be the revenue analysis to understand where focusing on, right? Should we be focusing on, for example, I'm just like working on that with a client and it's like very, very clear that they have a huge untapped opportunity in selling more to the existing clients, right? It's kind of a hardware product with software, doesn't really matter. And majority of their large customers are ordering like a few pieces where they could like be ordering many, many more pieces. Why? Because okay, historically, this is they were just like kind of doing e-commerce kind of marketing and sales. And the other thing there is also again understanding, okay, the majority even of our net new, are they coming from enterprise? And how are we actually marketing? Because what, what you see is okay, we might have a lot of revenue coming from this segment, or this is the biggest biggest potential for us. But on the other hand, the way that we market is really for SMB or kind of almost B2C. And um, so this would be the first step that I would do. And of course, speaking to sales, speaking to marketing, interviewing, you know, those people interviewing the executives, interviewing the, the top customers as well. Like this would be my first moves for sure. Okay. And what are the mistakes that most marketing organizations are making in terms of uh, their failure to adapt to the current context? The biggest mistakes are focusing on inquisition only, net new acquisition only. Like you said, this is really difficult, especially in current times. There is a much bigger opportunity to upsell, expand, prevent churn. Second one is definitely right now what everybody is doing is kind of doubling down on demand capture and what i mean by that is you know going to paid search for example trying to capture as much demand as possible but what's going on is everybody is doing that the demand is going down because we are in a kind of an economic downturn the demand is going down there is a lot more competition on those channels so when all you do is demand capture, what you're doing really is you're getting commodity positioning. You're one of the many because you haven't had any relationship. There's no awareness of your unique value proposition and why you're different and worth buying. You're just one of the many. When you come into a consideration set, which is your goal, right? You are usually, especially for bigger deals, especially for enterprise customers, you're probably too late to the party, too late to the table, because there have been other competitors who have been positioning themselves to the buying committee for a while, and they picked you as a kind of a, because they have to have the third or the fourth or the fifth one, right? Because their procurement is like that. Was that, I'm sorry? Your column fodder. (laughs) That is another one, right? And then I think like just general uh, B2B marketing mistakes, like, you know, that transactional mindset, trying to get a CTA on everything, trying to generate as many leads, you know, using the wrong metrics and then driving those wrong metrics, which drives wrong behavior, treating B2B as transactional sales, not impacting the whole buying committee. Also, I think a lot of companies are leaving a lot of money on the table by having those whatever the marketing activities are and then waiting then for the customers to come to them while sales is going outbound to completely different customers, completely cold customers. So for example, uh, this is a concrete example. A marketing organization drives 
15,000 MQLs, out of which we had maybe 20 deals. I don't know, but something like that. They they drove maybe 100 opportunities out of those and maybe 30, 40, 30 were closed. I don't know, something like that, right? So they were celebrating their goal while sales didn't hit their quota. So you have that on the one hand side. And then on the other side, you have the BDR team who have their lists, who have their targets. How did they get their targets? Well, they just took top accounts from the territories. There's no indication that these companies have a need. There's no reason to believe that they are would be a good fit. No, these are just the largest 50 accounts from the territory they're chasing after them. They're not looking at the, or marketing is not presenting the data to say at least, hey, there's a bunch of interesting accounts here who are highly engaged with our brand. They're not yet reaching out to us. Maybe you should focus on them instead of focusing on a wish list, essentially. Right. So, I mean, hope seems to be the main driver in that strategy, which is just throw lots of shit at the wall and hope some of it sticks. And numbers game. Yeah, well, I, I maintain that the most popular sales methodology is called we have, winging it and hope and a prayer. And I think marketing tends to fall into that camp uh, too often. There isn't a tendency to overemphasize data and overemphasize technology at the expense of relationships and at the expense of intelligent reflection. So talk to me about the kind of mindset that a modern marketer and a modern seller needs to adopt? And what are the values that will underpin that thinking? Yeah, so you're speaking about data, right? So first of all, you have to understand that the game is rigged, right? So you are marketing the big tech companies on your audience and they don't provide you any data about organic, right? So they hide all of that data, they, they, they reduce all of the reach. And they push you, of course, into paid where they give you all this data. When it comes to organic, we have to respect privacy. We can't really reveal that data unless you pay, right? And then I want to, as a Google or LinkedIn or whatever, I want to make sure that you think that I've generated whatever result that you're looking to generate. So I'm like pushing that attribution to you and presenting you that as a result. But the reality, what is the real reality? The reality is that you have multiple buyers, that the buying process is complex, and that when you look at that buying process, these buyers spend 17% of their time talking to vendors. Now, they're not only talking to you, so they're talking to other vendors. So they may spend 5% of their time talking to you. Now, by the way, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that they're doing and clicking, et cetera, you don't know. You just don't know how you don't have that data. This is probably like a 0.5%. And if this is the only data that you're using to make your decisions, you're you're just, I mean, I don't can't come up with a nice metaphor, but it's like, you know, trying to hit a target completely blindfolded. And the data is there if you bother to speak to the customers. And there is no, I mean, I know companies make a big deal out of that, but it can simply be integrated in your process, right? You can speak today, I can go on LinkedIn and I can reach out to my prospects and I can just ask, I can just say, listen, I'm a new marketer. I don't know anything about this industry. Would you spend, would you be able to spend 15 minutes with me just teaching me about how the industry works? You know, whatever the approach is that you take, you can start speaking to not even existing customers, buyers, you can start understanding how they go about, you know, where do they hang out and learn? How do they discover new solutions like yours? You know, what is the purchase? What are the purchase criteria that you use? Who is involved in the process? And all the stuff that you should actually know as a marketer. And that's just like a one way. But then you have, of course, your sales who can ask questions when they're in a conversation. Then you have, you know, when the deal is closed, you can ask another set of questions. Then you have, you know, successful implementation and CS can ask another set of questions. So 
if you are working with those people to get those customer insights in a structured way, you could just be, you know, having heaps of, of relevant data and it doesn't have to be difficult. It can be very natural integrated in a process. That's the kind of the ideal, the gold standard scenario. I'd add one group to that as well, which is your leadership team. Employ the senior leadership, understanding that they are crew and you are captain in the sale, but deploy them so that you've got a CEO to CEO conversation where they can talk about the job to be done, the vision, the strategy. Have the CFO talk to the CFO. This is about choreographing and marshalling the conversations to ensure that the right people are speaking to the right people in the right way at the right time. And then you're bringing all of those moving parts together towards one ultimate moment where they make a yes or a no decision. And if they proceed, then to ensure that the expectation on first is met. And then you can sustain that expectation because you've got the proper support in place. This all takes time. So let's talk about the whole idea that, I mean, you mentioned uh, earlier on about um, just focusing on 11 accounts. For Mm -hmm. so many AEs, they'll have dozens or hundreds of accounts. Give me the rationale for narrowing down to a handful of dream accounts that you want to win over time and why the emphasis needs to be on the medium to long-term pipeline, not the short. Okay. So like we said, when you're just trying to get the buyers who are right now in the market who are further away, so to capture the existing demand, we spoke about the problems that this entails, especially for large enterprise. It's really hard to win those. And so you need to be part of that journey beforehand. Okay, so that's why you need to be thinking mid to long term. Now, why should you narrow down? You should narrow down, especially be, especially when it comes to, to upper mid-market and enterprise customers, because you cannot afford to spend, you know, whatever it is, 9, 12, 18 months, huge resources with these kind of deals, chasing a deal that you maybe have 10% chance of closing or winning. So we don't want to go after deals that we can't reasonably win. We want to go after deals that we have kind of proven, right? And next to that, you also don't want to go after accounts where there is no need, where there is no need for your product, even though they match your firmographics and technographics criteria or whatever demographics you're using. That's not like I'm a marketer. It doesn't mean that I'm buying MarTech. I'm uh, right. Actually, the majority of of people are paid well to deal with it, with their shit, to deal with the issues, right? So you have to understand, okay, what is going on in their business that is going to shift their priorities. So how can I figure that out? And so let me give you a concrete example. You mentioned the eleven accounts, right? So there, it was actually a, a software technology company that was serving different industries. This is very, very, very often they're quote unquote industry agnostic. By the way, if you think you're industry agnostic, that may be the case, but your buyers are not industry agnostic. Think about that. And so we narrowed down that among different segments, one of their top segments for the advertising technology space. And now we could dive deeper and start understanding those best deals there and talking to those customers, we figured out that one of the reasons why, why, why I'm sorry, those customers were hiring them, were, were buying from them, was because of their expertise in technology in something that is called mobile SDK. Don't ask me what it is, but that was, that was the case, right? And this was really cool because now we could go on LinkedIn and we could research those accounts and find people who in their profile have this keyword, like they're working on mobile SDK, it meant that they're probably a very good fit. So if we could build trust with those accounts and they had the need you know, for you know, whatever technology expertise in mobile SDK, that we would be a good fit. 
it took some time developing those relationships that we mainly use LinkedIn in this case. And after, after six months, what happened is they generated sales qualified opportunities with nine out of those 11 accounts. And they actually won three out of those. And the best part was that those deals were now 10 times larger. Now, six months is actually amazing. It's just like amazingly fast. And it's not like a standard. You shouldn't expect that. But the thing, and, and that is the thing, instead of like chasing thousands and winning three, now we could, you know, do 11. And of course, by repeating that, you would get a much bigger part of that pie and you spent your resources in a very smart way because you spent resources on 11 accounts and got three deals. You spent resources on those nine opportunities and got three deals instead of, you know, chasing like, what is it, uh, you know, 20 to, to close one. Well, let, let's just bring some cold, hard reality to all of this. If you haven't yet worked it out, calculate what it costs every time you speak to a customer or every time you leave the office to go and meet a customer and calculate what the cost is per person. Calculate the cost of the meetings that you're going to have internally and what the hourly rate is of your people. Before you know it, each pursuit will probably be ramping up into the tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in terms of man hours. And that's opportunity cost. The biggest one is the opportunity. Yes. Absolutely. Now, if you redeploy those resources on high value behaviors and high value activity, then you actually have a fighting chance of being able to develop multiple relationships within the one account, understand them over time. And because you're not trying to sell to them, you're building credibility and reliability. And because you haven't presented your selfish self-orientation, you've been focused on them, what they're trying to achieve, their context, then when it comes to them moving from passive looking to active looking, you're already in pole position. Now, once you're in that position, all of the questions that they're going to be asking your competition can be framed by you. Yes, 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 yes. You're in, you're impacting the purchase criteria. You're framing. You're setting them up so that your solution becomes a natural choice. Now, this then raises another really important question, which is: given the opportunity to sell, and someone is willing to buy, but one recognizes as a seller or a marketer that there are better solutions out there for that customer. What should one do at that point? Well, look, that is really, really important already at the beginning at the drawing board when you're selecting those target accounts and you're selecting the criteria that you're going to use. I mean, you have to start with the truth. I mean, if you don't have a real competitive advantage for those customers, for those target accounts, you are selecting wrongly, right? And at a certain point, if there is a better alternative, I would actually recommend you to recommend that better alternative, honestly, right? I, mean, I do that every, every time. Like when I see there is a mismatch, there is a better alternative, I will recommend it because I don't want to end up with a bad, the worst thing that happens for my business is ending up with a bad customer, with a bad fit customer. It's not necessarily their fault. That's why it's normally our fault. <laughs> yes. The, the, the buyer's yes. often wrong. And when they are, it's usually me. <laughs> and another thing, I, I just wanted to go back to your question of like, why should you focus? Why should you narrow down? And part of it we covered, but you also asked at the very beginning, okay, how do you stand out in all of that mess of, content and marketing and sales messaging and all of that. Well, by narrowing down, suddenly it's much easier for you to stand out. Let me give you an example. Let's say that I'm a sales director of a, let's say, financial service company, maybe an invest wealth management or investment management company, right? And I'm looking for a CRM and I see two CRMs. And one CRM is a kind of a generic CRM that quote unquote helps your reps close more deals. 
And the other one is uh, a CRM for the financial service industry that, that helps your investment advisors uh, find the best, the best investment opportunities and keep them longer, whatever, right? What I'm trying to say is that once you're focused, your messaging can be more focused. Your content can be more focused. The more focused it is, the more relevant it will become. The more relevant it becomes, the easier it will be for you to stand out, right? So you could call this like the message buyer fit or the content topic, whatever, buyer fit, right? Because now you know your customers better. It's more, more narrow. It's much easier to win that battle, to be the big fish in the small pond than, than the other way around, the small fish in, in the large pond, which a lot of companies are trying to do. Because just go and check your G2 category. You know, there are like 812, 825 CRM systems there. Right? And they're all claiming the same shit. I mean, there's no real difference when it comes to features. Or maybe if, it, if, it, if there is, it's just temporary. And your buyers don't really care, can't really make a difference. So what they do, they go for the category leader or, or for somebody who meets their specific, specific needs. Vlad, unfortunately, we've come to time, which is a real shame because oh. I could talk to you for hours. So we need to do this again if you're up for that. So let me just summarize my understanding of what you said. The first thing is think as your customer, meet them where they are and understand the journey they are on. Speak to your customer, especially marketing and leadership and finance and product, as well as sales. It'd be nice if you did too. Then be transparent. Lead with honesty. Have the customers back. Tell the truth and be a decent human being. And then do that consistently over time. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, maybe I would just add one more thing there is... As you're understanding your customers and the questions and the pains and the objections that they have as they move through the buyer journey, focus on consistently delivering high quality expertise content that in itself will help them optimize their content for the platforms where your buyers already are hanging out and coming to learn so that they can share it on places that you cannot get to. Don't try to hurt them in your funnel. Don't, don't worry about the clicks. Don't worry about the CDAs. Don't worry about, you know, bringing them to your website. Just make sure that you're focused on helping them during their buyer journey. And this is actually how you are going to be able to stay top of the mind, create awareness and demand in your target accounts so that you are the one that they will be thinking about once they become ready, once they have the need. So you need to be able to recognize and help preempt and warn them of when their struggling moments are going to occur, inform them of what to do or what the trigger warnings are, that type of content, and then be there as a resource when they need you when they are going through those moments of peril. Absolutely. Fabulous. Okay. Give a plug for your podcast, first of all. Let's. Uh, how do people get to listen to that? Full Funnel B2B Marketing Podcast. You can go to fullfunnel.io slash podcast or find us on all the platforms. We do live podcasts, so I would actually recommend people to join our Trenches community. This is trenches.community, which we host for our community live podcast. So you can, instead of just listening, you can actually join there, ask your questions, uh, chat, chat and, and hang out with, with thought leaders, industry leaders in B2B marketing. We are restarting after a, a, a small hiatus during the summer. And, you know, if you're there, you'll also know more about our other events that we are doing. But I think the easiest way to, you know, connect, learn more about us is just follow us on LinkedIn. I'm sure that uh, Marcus is going to drop the LinkedIn profile in the show okay. notes so you can find me. Uh, a bonus would be if you're reaching out to me to mention that you heard Heard it on this podcast. That will be awesome. So I can also then uh, mention this to Mark. And uh, I guess that should be enough. <laughs> Lovely. Excellent. What would you recommend people read, watch, listen to? What, what's caught your imagination? 
So I think that people trying to understand the mindset of the new buying journey and just getting that that mindset right and the mind generation, definitely check out Chris Walker's LinkedIn posts and his podcast as well. I think this is really good to help you start learning about uh, about that. When it comes to like strategy, strategic thinking, messaging, understanding your customers, Pip Alaya, who is the founder of Winter and CXL, he's also posting on LinkedIn. He has his own podcast, How to Win, and is just a, a generally like uh, one of my favorite thought leaders in B2B marketing. Maybe Mary Kayo. I think if I'm pronouncing her name right, she's just amazing. She's just a marketer sharing her. Is that K E O G H Kia? Correct, Kia. Yeah, that's that's correct. Right. Thank you. She's very practical. She makes things very very simple, and is just like a, a, a great marketer to follow as well. I think that's Fantastic. that's plenty. <laughs> Excellent. I'd recommend Mark Schaefer, Colin Shaw, and. Who else is really interesting at the moment? Jordan Bridger. Jordan Bridger is a neuroscientist, a psychologist, a an academic, um, and uh, he's looks at things through a very different lens. So all interesting and uh, mind bending. Excellent, Vlad. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I honestly didn't notice the time passing by. I thought we were somewhere in the middle. That just tells you how much (laughs) I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for that. Thanks so much. So, Vlad Blagojevic, thank you very much. Thank you. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you're an AE that has been trained in the traditional systems, your Miller-Hymans, your Sandlers, your Richardsons, your Medics, Challenger, and Since the market turned, what used to work doesn't work. Give me a call because what I'll do is I'll teach you the components that caused that stuff to work when it originally was developed, and it'll give you that power back again. So if you're struggling and it's just not quite working for you, then give me a call and let's see what we can do. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.